Merry Christmas. What a great morning it is. And parents, hope you survived uh, the night and the morning. It's always a good thing to happen, isn't it? Well, I'm um, very, very happy to see those that I normally see and very, very happy to see those that I've never seen before in my whole life. In some cases, occasionally see too. And I hope you're blessed uh, by what God has to speak uh, and say to us today on this great morning. You know, one of the first songs that my grandkids ever learned was um, one that's, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. Caleb, do you want to come and sing with me? Because mummy doesn't know we've been planning this. That's all right. Come and stand up here. Come and stand up here. Ready? Up here. Come and stand up. So it goes like this. You ready? My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. My God is so big. So strong and so... Words as well. There's nothing my God cannot... Oh, yeah, that's true. The mountains are his, the valleys are his, the stars are his handiwork too. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. Thanks, mate. He's a big God. He's a huge God. Kids, show me how big God is. Is he this big? Is he bigger? Stretch your hands out how far you think he is. Guess what? I know. It's amazing. But you know what? He's even bigger than this. We have a big, powerful, amazing God. And you know what? We don't have to go far in the Bible to find out how far he is because the first verse in the Bible says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now that's, that's really, really big. It's huge. He was before all things and he will be on to eternity. He's eternal. Isaiah 43.10 says, listen to what he says about himself here. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be another one after me. So he's the one true eternal God. Isaiah 40.28 says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In other words, we can't even understand his understanding. He doesn't get weary. He doesn't get tired. He created the whole earth. And did he go, glad that's over? No, he didn't even take a breath. That's how big he is. Deuteronomy 10, 17. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And guess what? That was in the days when awesome meant awesome. It was reserved for God. Awesome. It wasn't like a happy meal. Look at the toy. Awesome. It was when God was revered as awesome and the word was used in its correct way. He was the one who said, let there be light and there was light. He was the one who closed the mouth of lions and saved his servant Daniel. He was the one one who caused the sun and the moon to stand still so that Joshua could finish the job that he'd been given. He's the one who parted the Red Sea so that the Israelites could go down and through and then close them on the enemies, the Egyptians. He was the one who spoke to Moses from a burning bush who became the leader of the Israelites. He was the one who sent a giant fish to be temporary housing for a guy called Jonah who had to get a few things sorted out for three or so days before he was spat out on the beach. He was the one who provided manna, food for the Israelites in the desert for 40 years while they wandered around. He was the one who then told them to march around the city of what? Just checking on you, Jericho. And then they shouted at it and the walls fell down. And again, they were able to beat their enemies. He is omnipresent. It means he is everywhere. He is omniscient. It means that he knows everything. He is close to us. He is not far away and we cannot run and we cannot hide from him. And although he is mighty God, creator of the universe and everything in it, here's the weird thing. 
He still wants to have a relationship with us. I'm staggered by that because he doesn't have to do that. A guy by the name of A.W. Tozer described God like this. This is wonderful. I could never write this stuff. God knows instantly and effortlessly all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He's never surprised, never amazed. He never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions. God is above, but he's not pushed up. He's beneath, but he's not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. God is above all things presiding. He's beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside all things filling. That is the imminence of God. I could never describe it like that. You know, it's exhausting, even beginning to consider God's greatness, what he's already done, and what he will continue to do in his great will and with his great plans. And this morning on Christmas Day, we celebrate with great joy because this amazing God... Our God, our Heavenly Father, because of his great love for us, sent his son Jesus from heaven where his rightful place was to earth. God incarnate. Incarnate means the prefix in means in. And kara, which which comes along with it, is flesh. So he sent him in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Fully man and yet fully God. It's a real mystery. But he was fully man, yet fully God. To be born as a baby and this mighty God then placed in a stinking, filthy, slobbering animal feeding trough that Luke, in his book, three times refers to as a manger. And I just learned recently that the word manger means chewing, which is what those animals do in those filthy troughs. And where was he? In a stable at the back of an inn with floor coverings composed of probably cow manure and every other animal droppings with every animal that had walked through there in the last week or so. Not in a hygienic room, a five-star hospital with great facilities where a young virgin could give birth to the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. Nothing like that. Nothing like that. You know, when we see a nativity scene... What does it normally look like? Usually it's pretty sanitised, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? It's like um, Mary looks like she hasn't even been through labour. Ladies, I'm right with you there. I've been there before. I know what it's like. But she doesn't even look like. She's standing there. (laughs) So science hasn't come that far yet. Okay. (laughs) But you know, I mean, I've seen this thing happen. And it's not pretty. And if she's standing there smiling just after that, that's just not really very real, you know? And like the animals, have you noticed, they all sit in formations, look like they're ready to have their photo taken or something too. Have you noticed that with nativity scenes? But I actually think that this whole journey to get to the point where they were would have been tough, messy, really, really messy. Think about it. Before she even gets to the Bethlehem barnyard birthing centre out the back here, a lot has already happened, okay? Mary has had to travel over 100 kilometres with Joseph from Nazareth, which is another story, wonderful how God moved them to Bethlehem where the birth was meant to be, from Nazareth on a donkey or a cart, or we don't know actually. We always see her on a donkey, but the Bible actually doesn't tell us how they got there, but we assume donkey, a cart, something like that, to get to Joseph's original town of Bethlehem because, of course, we know Caesar Augustus, as we read, has ordered this census, so everybody has to go back to their hometown. 
But she's nine months pregnant. She's travelling 110 k's. She's about to give birth. She's feeling lumpy. She's looking lumpy. She's feeling awkward. It's difficult to travel. Both her and Joseph also into the bargain. They've had to put up with people for the last nine months constantly looking at them sideways because of this pregnancy. Because they don't understand that it's actually the Spirit of the Lord that's come upon Mary. So they see this as this great scandal that's happening. So they've got everybody looking at them as well. So they're in the middle of this scandal. And then they get to Bethlehem. Men, book ahead. I'm telling you, if you're going on anywhere, book ahead. Because Joseph didn't. Okay? And so Mary gets there. And of course, now they haven't even got anywhere to stay. No room in the inn. So out the back in the stable or a cave where the animals were. And then, get this. After all that mess, after all that stuff, she now probably lies down on this barn floor and gives birth to the saviour of the world. Consider that. This is not pretty. I actually wonder if while this was all going on, Mary thought back to the visit from uh, the angel Gabriel who'd appeared to her to give her this news in the first place. Remember, uh, Gabriel said these things, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. We're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the Saviour, the Son of God here. You know, I actually, Mary and Joseph really, really average, normal sort of people. There's nothing stunning about these people. They're just favoured, highly favoured. I wouldn't be surprised if Mary is lying on the floor and thinking to herself, Lord, what's going on here? Why, why am I in this stable? What's with the stable? I don't understand this. Has, has something gone wrong? Has, has there been a mistake? The Jews themselves, well, if they'd seen that, they wouldn't have even thought about it because their idea of what the Messiah was going to look like, the promised one, was going to be a, a strong warrior, a leader who would overthrow the, the Roman government or a political leader who would be able to do that as well. But no, we have a, a young teenage girl lying on the ground of a barn giving birth to the Messiah. But there was no mistake. No mistake at all. At first glance, you'd be excused for thinking that. But consider these words from the book of Isaiah Chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. There's been many times in my life, and I know in your lives too, because I've been with many of you when these times have happened, as is Shabu and Nathan. When we come up against difficult, uh, confronting and even confusing moments or situations and there's been a number of those this year in my family and in your families and I find it really good in amongst all this confusion to stop and to remember and be reassured and even comforted by the knowledge that his ways and his thoughts are so much higher than ours so even when things get messy and even seemingly out of control you know that God knows exactly what's going on here. He is not surprised by this situation. And as far as difficulty and confronting and confusing situations, Mary and Joseph right here are playing in the major leagues right now. 
they probably got one of the most confronting situations ever in the history of the world. But there has been no mistake. It's just that his ways are higher than our ways. And nothing has gone wrong here. It's just that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God has great purpose here in what he is doing. And with these higher ways and thoughts from the very beginning, in the beginning God created, it has always been God's unstoppable plans that are unfolding. For example, it was always going to be that little insignificant town of Bethlehem. Now he said Bendigo, that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? (laughs) Bethlehem, that would be the Lord's birthplace. And even 700 years before the Lord was even on earth, we read in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 this incredible prophecy which comes true here. Listen to this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Ephratah is the ancient name of Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, pretty insignificant, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. In other words, from eternity past. I love that God uses the insignificant insignificant Joseph, insignificant Mary, insignificant Bethlehem. Miraculously, it was always going to be a virgin who would give birth to the Saviour. And again, you go back 700 years, but this time to the prophet Isaiah. Listen to what he writes. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. As we know, that means God with us. There is no mistakes. This is God's plan at work. His footprints and his handprints are all over this situation. You can see it. And what about God's choice of those uh, who are going to hear the announcement of the birth of his son to the whole world? What about them? The leaders? All of the the religious leaders? No. Although they would have told you they should have been the ones that should have heard that announcement first. Instead, let's head back to that stable for a minute. And Mary's lying there on the ground with a newborn child. And suddenly a bunch of smelly shepherds appear with this excited look on their face. Their eyes are shining a little bit. And as they go around the corner, you can almost see them going... Swaddling clothes, check. Manger, check. Child, check. This is the place. This is the child. This is the one. Let me read to you. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths, swaddling clothes, check, and lying in a manger, check. What happened straight after that sign? Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favour rests. There is no mistake about this announcement to a bunch of lowly shepherds who are actually at the bottom rung of society. In fact, they couldn't even get into the temple because they couldn't purify themselves according to the Jewish customs and rules and religious rules. And yet these insignificant shepherds are chosen by God to be given the birth announcement to end all birth announcements. And all they were doing was watching their flocks on a Judean hill on a cold winter's night. That was it. And I think that, I'm thinking back into the the situation with Mary there and I actually think with Mary and Joseph that even though they were still a little confused I think when the shepherds started to talk about what had happened with excitement that it would have been very comforting for them and also probably very confirming that God knew what he was doing here so there's no mistakes 
just one very, very important question. Why is God doing all this? Why did he do this? You have Almighty God, we talked about him earlier, the creator of the universe. He knows all. But suddenly he's sending his son, God incarnate in the flesh, to us. Why is he doing that? The answer is, you ready for this? Us. The answer is us. And the answer is our sin. He knew that we need saving. And so this was the plan. You know, some of the sheep, it's interesting, some of the sheep I read that uh, the shepherds were looking after were probably some of the sheep or the lambs that they would take to the temple and be sacrificed for the covering of the people's sins, for the forgiveness of sins. So they would take these lambs, these perfect, spotless, unblemished lambs, and they would sacrifice them for the souls, for the, uh, for the saving of the people's sins, for the covering of those sins. And yet 30 years down the track when Jesus has grown up and about to go into his ministry, John the Baptist sees him and to all the people around him, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And in saying this, John was actually indicating that Jesus would become a sacrifice for our sins. And this is exactly why this baby, God's son, had come to live amongst us. It's a rescue plan. This is the reason. Remember when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant? It would have been panic mode while she was betrothed to be married to him. So they're not completely married at this stage. Well, because Joseph was a righteous man... He didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, so he plans to divorce her quietly. But the angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him that it's okay to take Mary as his wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. But hear what the angel then goes on to say. He says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sins. Somebody know what the word Jesus actually means? Somebody know? Call it out if you know. The Lord saves. Yeah, the Lord saves. So here's the plans again. You see, this is the purpose and the reason God sent his son to us at that first Christmas. To be born as we were born, to grow up as a child just as we did, to experience everything that we did. Joy, sorrow, friendships, pain, and of course, temptation of all kinds. And Jesus, even though he was fully God and fully man, it's the fully man part that helped him to identify with us. The difference between us and Jesus, however, is what? The fact that he lived his entire life without sin. He was without blemish, just like those lambs that were being sacrificed in the temple for the forgiveness of sins uh, for the people. He was despised by religious leaders. They couldn't stand him. Too threatening for them. They're the ones that should have known it was him. But they were blind to that. And even the people that had once loved him, they'd seen him do all the miracles, amazing things for people. They turned on him as well. Then he's betrayed by one of his disciples, falsely accused, whipped and beaten till he's actually unrecognizable and then put on a Roman cross to die. But it was what was going on at the cross that was going to save us. Here's all the good news. If you've never heard the gospel of Christ before, I pray that God will help you to understand this because the good news is happening right at the cross. You might be thinking, hang on, isn't that Easter? Mm -hmm. Christmas, Easter, Easter, Christmas, same thing. It was going to the cross that was going to save us, to fulfill this mission that God was on to redeem us, to bring us back to himself, to restore a right relationship with us that sin had separated us from him, from God. He could have crushed us easily. We deserved it. 
But listen to God's love and mercy on us screaming out salvation in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Some people who have never heard that before go, huh? Let me explain. God the Father made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us. In other words, he was to carry all of our sin, all the sins that had ever been, all the sins that would come on his body as he went to that cross so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, so that we can be made right with God. This is amazing. This is incredible news. This had been God's mission and purpose ever since we messed it up in the Garden of Eden. When everything went horribly wrong, we fell into sin and for the first time since perfect creation, man had been separated from God. Jesus became the sacrifice for our sin. And this would satisfy the wrath of God who could not tolerate and would not tolerate sin. Something had to be sacrificed. And God sacrificed his own son. And gloriously, just before he gave up his spirit, he cried from the cross, It is finished. The rescue plan is complete. He had agonizingly and yet victoriously completed the work needed for the salvation of our souls, for those who would come to him. And then he died. Then three days later, victoriously, Jesus rose from the death. Death couldn't hold him. And now sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven and has the power to forgive the sins of anyone who would repent of their sin and believe in him. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that means spiritual death, separation from God. But get this, the free gift, and I wrote it real big, the free gift. And I'll get back to where I was now because I just closed my computer. Woohoo! The free gift of God, are you ready for this, is eternal life. It's a free gift. It's Christmas through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is nothing you can do to earn forgiveness for your sin. Nothing. There is nothing you can do to earn eternal life. You hear me? Nothing. But I'm, so, I'm smiling. You getting that bit? There's nothing you can do and I'm smiling. Why? Because it's already been done. It's God's amazing grace that can save you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For it is by grace that you have been saved. How? Through faith, through believing. And this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God. Not by works so that somebody can boast, so that you can boast. In other words, it's not anything you can do. Look, God, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. Can I come to heaven now? No, the gift is already done. The gift is already done. You know, the, the story of the prodigal son, some of you may know that well, and you've got the two sons, and one of them says to his dad, I want my inheritance, so he takes his part of the inheritance, and he goes off and he messes the whole thing up. And then he goes, what am I doing? Why did I leave my father? And it's actually a correlation with us and God the Father. And he decides how stupid he is, so he goes back to ask forgiveness of the father. And you know what the father didn't say? The father didn't say, my son who was once bad is now good. He didn't say that. You know what he said? He said, my son who was dead is now alive. And he's talking about spiritually. God forgives sin. This guy became alive because he asked forgiveness of the father. And that is the good news. You know what? It's a free gift. But here's a trick. Yeah, there's a catch. Thought there was a catch, didn't you? Guess what? We have to receive it. There's the catch. 
The gift is free, but we have to receive it. And on this very day, here, Christmas Day 2017, if you have never committed your life to Jesus, you can become a child of the living God by honestly coming before him, repenting of your sin and asking Jesus to forgive you, which he promises to do. And guess what? He never, ever lies. He never lies. There's no need to spend one more day of your life carrying around the guilt of your sin. Not one more day. Does it mean you won't sin again? No, you'll sin again. But you will be forgiven when you genuinely come to God and ask forgiveness because of what Jesus had done at the cross. What a saviour. And those of you who've already received this gift of eternal life and have been saved from the hold that sin once had on you, don't get so busy today that you leave this gift under the tree. Can I just encourage you to constantly unwrap that gift all day and give thanks and praise to our living God who has saved us from our sin and that is the gift that we get here in Christmas Day in God incarnate, God in the flesh, Emmanuel coming to be with us. What a saviour. Those of you who know Jesus today, will you with great joy remember the great gift that you've been given? Those of you who don't know him yet, some are even surprised, some are even thinking, is this true? Come and talk to me. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. What a great day to understand him on Christmas Day. Those who don't know him, will you come and open this present and discover the life of freedom that it contains for you? He was once dead, but now he is alive. That can be you too this morning. We praise God for what he's done in sending his son and we remember him this Christmas morning. Let's pray. Father, you could have crushed us. We didn't deserve anything, Lord God, and yet your free gift through your Son, this one who came as a little baby, grew up just like us, Lord God, but sinless, gone to the cross, took our sin with him and died on our behalf. It should have been us there, Lord God. And Father, we thank you that in your mercy and your grace that you have saved us that you've given us a way back to God. You provided the opportunity of eternal life with our Father, with our Lord forever. And Father, we want to thank you on this Christmas day for what you've done. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.